Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Green Left News Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Nellist, and this week I'm joined by refugee rights activist and Green Left journalist, Chloe. We'll be taking you through the latest activist news from Australia and around the world. Hi, Isaac. I'm excited to be here. I'm speaking from the stolen land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people in so-called Melbourne. And if listeners haven't heard of Green Left, it is a people-powered media project that has been running for more than 30 years. We centre the voices of activists and provide an alternative to the corporate news media. And you can become a supporter today for only $5 a month at greenleft.org.au forward slash support. And before we begin, we acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on stolen land. I'm speaking from Gadigal land, and this land has never been ceded and always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And Green Left is committed to supporting struggles for First Nations justice. For the first time in what is known as the ocean heat bomb, the temperature of the ocean is staying high instead of receding from its annual peaks. Our planet's oceans are a massive heat sponge, absorbing 90% of planetary heat. Normally, they act as a regulator of Earth's temperatures, absorbing heat and then cooling down in a natural cycle. However, due to the massive amounts of greenhouse gases pumped into the air by fossil fuel companies, the ocean is continuing to warm. Average ocean surface temperatures are hitting record highs and were barely impacted by the cooling cycle of La Nina. If we continue pumping carbon and other greenhouse gases into the air and ocean temperatures keep rising, will experience more intense weather conditions, including floods, fires, droughts, and cyclones, as well as destroying underwater kelp forests and coral reefs, potentially killing off the majority of ocean life within 30 years. Terrifying. This should really be a wake-up call, but despite the impending threat of climate change, Environment Minister Tanya Plibersek has approved a coal mine in central Queensland's Bowen Basin, The Isaac River coal mine is the first that Labor has approved, although they are refusing to cancel the proposals for the Mount Pleasant open-cut coal mine near Musselbrook. The expansion of Narrabri coal mine and the extension of Ensham coal mine. Protesters gathered outside Plibersek's Sydney office on May 12 to call on the minister to do her job and protect the environment. Yeah, climate scientists have clearly stated that we need to cancel coal and gas projects and urgently shift to renewables as soon as possible. But another impact of ocean warming is the loss of fish, which are already struggling due to overfishing. And to combat this, hundreds of people gathered with kayaks and boats at Mickey's Beach on the southeast coast of Tasmania on May 20 to demand an end to salmon farming in estuaries, river mouths and oceans. Speakers detailed the disastrous impacts of salmon farming on what used to be pristine oceans. In a big win for forest protectors and climate activists, the Victorian state government has announced it will end native forest logging in Victoria in December, six years earlier than planned. The announcement comes after a landmark Supreme Court judgment found that Vic Forest, the state-owned logging agency, had broken the law by failing to protect endangered species. Chris Sharinga from the Victorian Forest Alliance said campaigners were overjoyed by this historic announcement. Yeah, it's a great uh, announcement. But meanwhile, in New South Wales, uh, local communities are fighting to stop the New South Wales Forestry Corporation from logging an area that's critical for koala connectivity and habitat in Pine Creek State Forest on the New South Wales mid-north coast. The Pine Creek Bongo Bongo National Park 
koala population is possibly the only stable population left in the Great Koala National Park proposal. And friends of Pine Creek facilitator Susan Harwood told Green Left that the group was campaigning for a forest bridge that allows koalas and other animals to move safely between the two parks. Harwood said that Pine Creek is not the only forest that's being hit. Lots of different forests in the region are being targeted by Forestry Corp. The state Labor government has promised funding for the Great Koala National Park, but Environment Minister Penny Sharp has allowed logging to continue regardless. Traditional owners continue to oppose gas company Tamboron's plans to frack for shale gas in the Betaloo Basin, in particular in the Newcastle Creek, which has sites protected under the Northern Territory's Aboriginal Sacred Sites Act. Johnny Wilson from the Norodalindji Native Title Aboriginal Corporation said on ABC's 7.30 report that the fracking plans reflect what traditional owners have long feared, that fracking will damage our water, country and songlines, which mean absolutely everything to us and were passed down to us to care for. This is my grandfather's country, which I have a responsibility to look after. It tears at my heart to imagine how fracking by Tamboran might be damaging what I have been asked to protect. Yeah, and as governments ignore First Nations people calling for their land and water to be protected, they're also ignoring the horrific treatment of children at the Dondale Youth Detention Centre. It's been almost six years since the Royal Commission into the Detention and Protection of Children in the Northern Territory delivered its final report which said that Dondale was, quote, not fit for accommodating, let alone rehabilitating children and young people due to its severe prison-like and unhygienic conditions. And children as young as 10 uh, can be and have been locked in Dondale, which in March had more children detained than at any time in the past year. Almost all of the children in Dondale are First Nations and most are on remand. And these children are frequently confined in cells for 23 hours a day, A nurse actually said in December that children are so distressed that they're asking for antipsychotic medications. And Josie Crawshaw, who's a Gurindji mother and a member of Closed On Dale Now, delivered an impassioned plea to the United Nations Permanent Forum on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples in April, where she called for an urgent, globally coordinated response to the issues facing incarcerated First Nations children. You can watch her full address on YouTube, and there's a link to it within the article on the Green Left website. Yeah, it it is horrible that children are being detained at all, let alone in those horrific conditions. However, over in Queensland, the Anastasia Palaszczuk government announced on May 11th that it plans to build another children's jail in Woodford next door to the adult maximum security prison. This comes after it decided in October to build another children's prison in Cairns. To fill these new child prisons, in March, the government enacted a draconian package of youth justice laws, which include tougher sentencing and an expanded list of offences. They have also reinstated breach of bail as a youth offence, overriding its own Human Rights Act to do so. Sisters Inside, a grassroots organisation for the rights of incarcerated women and girls, is campaigning against this harsh crackdown. Debbie Kilroy from Sisters Inside told Sydney criminal lawyers that children are being used as a political whipping board because the media has been on the rampage in relation to so-called youth crime. Kilroy said that the harsh measure is not going to work. People know that prisons don't work. People know that children are harmed in children's prisons and we've got to start thinking outside the bars and demanding the government acts outside the bars. 
Thousands of people attended rallies across the country on May 13 to commemorate the 75th anniversary of Al-Nakba, or the catastrophe, where Zionist terrorist gangs began to carry out massacres, ethnic cleansing, and the seizure of land to create the state of Israel. Palestinians and supporters held signs and chanted against Israeli apartheid for an end to the murderous raids on the West Bank, to defend the right of return, stop illegal settlements on Palestinian land, and to lift the siege of Gaza. A snap action was held outside 82 Wentworth Park Road in Glebe in Sydney on May 18 to demand the New South Wales Labor government immediately halt plans to demolish public housing. The demolition plans were proposed under the coalition government and are slated to go ahead despite Labor's election promise to freeze privatisations. Dennis Doherty from Hands Off Glebe told the rally that the sale and demolition of public housing must stop and that more public housing should be built. Karen Brown, who's a resident of the Waterloo Public Housing Estate, condemned Labor's continuation of the plans to demolish and privatise public housing buildings at Waterloo South. The promises of new Premier Chris Minns are not to be trusted. Another action is being held on June 8th at 5pm on the corner of Bay Street and Broadway in Glebe. And meanwhile, in WA, Premier Mark McGowan has justified the decline in public housing stock during the first term of his government as what he calls a deliberate attempt to stamp out drug dealers. Advocates have called this a shameful attempt to vilify the poor. Yeah, it's great that campaigners are not letting the New South Wales Labor government off the hook. The New South Wales Health Services Union is stepping up its campaign to demand pay rises for paramedics and other hospital staff. In its first round of action on May 17th, paramedics and patient transfer officers imposed a 24-hour ban on transporting patients discharged from hospitals. The HSU wants the 3% public sector wage cap lifted, followed by a 6% wage rise before the union agreement expires on July 1st. The HSU is one of a number of unions, including nurses, teachers and other public sector workers that took industrial action last year to challenge the former coalition government's wage freeze. HSU Secretary Gerard Hayes said they would be holding industrial stoppages right around the state with every hospital. Industrial action will continue and it will not stop. The New South Wales Teachers Federation is also pushing for wage rises. Federation President Angelo Gavrilatos said teacher shortages would not be fixed without fixing the wages and workload problem. There are currently more than 2,000 permanent teaching positions vacant in New South Wales public schools. And sacked baggage handlers joined the Transport Workers Union outside the High Court on May 9 as it began a hearing against a Qantas appeal against federal court rulings that its decision to outsource 1,700 ground crew jobs in 2020 was unlawful. In 2021, the federal court ruled the airline had breached the Fair Work Act when it sacked workers at 10 capital cities and regional airports, and the courts decided Qantas's actions were intended to prevent workers from carrying out collective bargaining and taking industrial action. Calls are growing for Qantas to be taken into public hands, after it posted half-yearly profits of $1.4 billion, not long after it received $2.7 billion in public bailouts during the pandemic. Qantas CEO took $24 million in pay in 2018 and is the highest-paid CEO in Australia. More than 500 people protested outside two libraries in Geelong on May 20 and May 21st against the projected closures and cuts to services. 
One of these was the Geelong West Library, which had been one of the three targeted for closure. Under pressure, the City of Greater Geelong Council backed down on May 19th and said no libraries would be closed. Instead, they would delay opening a new library and cut hours at other libraries. Unionist Angela Carr, who chaired the Geelong West rally, said the agreement was not good enough. And a quote from her said, We've decided to proceed today because we don't accept reduced hours. Many members of the community access their libraries on weekends and after hours. We need these services. Geelong City Council is cutting other support services and a well-attended community meeting on May 18th informed participants how to make submissions to the council to protect community needs. A large crowd protested outside the council on the council's May 23rd meeting. Against the draft budget, shamefully, the council claimed the venue was at capacity to prevent protesters from entering and even call the police on them. Yeah, in the midst of this cost of living crisis, we can't have libraries and other support services being cut. Instead, the punitive mutual obligation system for people on JobSeeker and other payments should be scrapped. And that's according to the Community and Public Sector Union, or the CPSU. Um, In its submission to the inquiry into Workforce Australia Employment Services, the CPSU said that the system does more harm than good. It recommended the government return the employment service to the public sector and end the use of for-profit employment services. Um, This is something that anti-poverty campaigners have long called for. uh, And it's because the system, the mutual obligation system, requires welfare recipients to earn points by completing activities such as applying for jobs, um, completing training activities and attending fortnightly meetings with these private job service providers. And that's under the threat of payments being suspended or cut. And crazy statistic is that 57.8% of recipients received a payment suspension in the second half of last year. There's countless submissions to the inquiry that detail how unhelpful the private job service providers are for people looking for work and how harmful mutual obligations are to vulnerable people. Meanwhile, the private job service companies receive huge amounts of money from the government, money that would be far more useful going straight to welfare recipients and raising the rate above the poverty line. Instead of raising the rate or funding housing, the government is spending $715 million on a new football stadium in Hobart. In one of the largest rallies to ever take place in Tasmania, more than 6,000 people protested outside the proposed stadium. Protesters carried signs saying they wanted the money spent on homes, not a stadium, and called for hospitals, housing, healthcare, and education. The huge turnout was very impressive, especially considering the protest was organised in just seven days. It shows the deep level of community anger over secret deals between Tasmanian Premier Jeremy Rockcliffe and the AFL. The state will provide $375 million for the project and the federal Labor government will chip in the rest, $240 million. The protest took place two days after the state Liberal MPs John Tucker and Lara Alexander quit the party over the issue. A rally organised to protest the Quadrilateral Security Dialogue meeting was held on May 24. 
Although the Quad meeting was cancelled because US President Joe Biden pulled out, the rally went ahead and Labor Party members joined leftists and peace activists to speak out against militarism, AUKUS and the Quad at Sydney Town Hall. James Miranda, speaking on behalf of Young Labor, told the rally that thousands of young people across the country refused to accept the AUKUS Pact and refused to accept a Labor government that is willing to trade away their futures to prop up the ambitions of a dying US empire. As part of the campaign against AUKUS, Green Left hosted forums in various cities across the country with anti-war campaigners discussing what we can do to stop the growing militarisation and fight for peace. In Sydney on May 16th, Mel Barnes from the Wollongong Against War and Nukes and Pip Hinman, Green Left editor and Sydney anti-AUKUS coalition activist, discussed the massive amount of money being spent on the new war drive. Barnes spoke about the campaign to prevent a nuclear subs base from being built in Port Kembla, and Hinman said AUKUS would bring the West closer to a US-led war on China, which could end the world or make large parts of it uninhabitable. Yeah, while these rallies and forums uh, against AUKUS are happening, Labor actually has a bill before Parliament which, if passed, would exempt the nuclear plants on the nuclear submarines from two important laws, which is the Australian Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety Act and the Environment Protection and Conservation Act. If anything, a nuclear plant on a submarine needs more, not less, protection requirements than a plant on land. It's dangerous for the naval workers who live and work in such close proximity to the nuclear power plant and dangerous to residents living near ports who are exposed to potential radiation leaks. This bill is the first time that MPs have had the opportunity to discuss and vote against the AUKUS Military Alliance in Parliament. Stella Assange headlined a rally of up to a 1,000 people in Sydney on May 24th to free her husband, Julian Assange. She said of his oppressors that they are cruel and they are torturing Julian because he did the right thing. Julian Assange has been languishing in top security Belmarsh prison in Britain for more than four years. And now we will hear what's happening around the world. Thai democracy activists have cautiously welcomed the result of the May 14 elections in Thailand, where the pro-democracy Move Forward Party and Phu Thai, the party associated with former Prime Minister Shinawatra, won 293 of 500 seats in the House of Representatives. Thai dissident and scholar Dr. Pavin Charchavel Pong Pun told Green Left the result was a good step forward for the democracy movement, but that there were still obstacles in the way of the two parties forming government. One of these obstacles is that under the undemocratic 2016 constitution that was written by the military coup regime, the PM has to be appointed by a joint sitting of the House of Representatives and the 250 military appointed senators. Negotiations between the parties are ongoing, with Move Forward Party, who won most of the votes, being pressured to concede on some of their more progressive policies. Another election on May 14 was in Turkey, where the president and dictator Recep Tayyip Erdogan failed to get 50% of the vote, meaning that there'll be a second round of votes on May 28. The election was affected by the left and pro-Kurdish People's Democratic Party, or HDP, being forced at the last minute to run as the Green Left Party. 
HDP and Green Left Party spokespeople said the result was impacted by government crackdown and election fraud and the difficulties in preparing and promoting a new party in such a short time. In Pakistan, the former Prime Minister Imran Khan was arrested after clashes with military generals over the appointment of high officials, difficulty with the economy and his refusal to normalise relations with India. Khan's supporters reacted with attacks on military and civilian buildings. Ten people were killed when he was arrested and motorways across the country were closed. Um, mass arrests of Khan's Pakistan Tariq Insaf party members and leadership have forced the party to go on the run. The increasing deployment of violence and military intervention in civilian affairs does not bode well for the future of democratic forces in Pakistan. The tension between the country's political elite and the military establishment has made things worse for ordinary people, stifling dissent, criminalising free speech and pushing working class people into poverty. Yeah, so this article uh, was written by Farooq Tariq, who's the president of the Hakuk Kalk Party and a leading activist in the climate justice movement in Pakistan. And we are lucky to have Farooq speaking at uh, the Eco-Socialism 2023, a World Beyond Capitalism conference, which is in Nam or Melbourne on July 1st and 2nd. And he'll be giving more updates on the situation in Pakistan, as well as discussion on how to reconceptualize revolution in the age of the climate emergency. And that's with Chong Hui Ting from the Socialist Party of Malaysia, as well as discussing climate justice in the global south. So head to ecosocialism.org.au for more information on the panels and speakers and get your tickets today. Yeah, it's really exciting that for Tariq is, is going to be at the conference. So I urge people to actually go and speak to him. He's a really interesting person and a really great and in- inspiring activist. A seven-day ceasefire between the Paramilitary Rapid Support Forces, or RSF, and the Sudanese Armed Forces began on May 22nd, with heavy shelling of Khartoum and other cities continuing right up until the ceasefire formally began at 9.45pm local time. The civilian death toll has climbed to at least 850, and more than 4,000 people have been injured. While none of the previously announced ceasefires have held out, This is the first time the warring parties have signed a written agreement with a monitoring mechanism. While the ceasefire is welcomed, a spokesperson of the Sudanese Communist Party, Fatih El-Fadil, said the monitoring committee, which includes three representatives from each group, three representatives from the US and three from Saudi Arabia, is insufficient. He said it does not include a single representative of civilians who have been suffering the most in this conflict. Humanitarian corridors should not be left in the hands of the SAF or RSF. They should be brought under the control of Sudanese civil society organisations. He argued that since the purpose of the agreement is not just to halt the fighting, but to also ensure that much-needed humanitarian aid reaches the people, the fighting forces must not be in control of this process. He suggested that resistance committees set up across the country during the December Revolution, should be in charge of receiving and distributing aid, as they are the most representative and well-organised body of the Sudanese people and have already been on the front line 
organising relief and assisting with evacuation. Members of the Sudanese diaspora in various countries, including Australia, have launched an appeal for urgent humanitarian assistance, support and protection of civilians in Sudan. You can read the full appeal at greenleft.org.au. Yeah, and over the past few months, we've been covering the massive strikes and protests in France um, that are related to Emmanuel Macron's pension reform. Um, And uh, this coverage has been based on Green Left articles by John Mullen, who's a revolutionary socialist living in Paris. His latest article examines the impact of Islamophobia on the uh, French left, which has been an ongoing issue. And he talks about how it's affecting uh, the pension struggle. He says it's vital that the French left take a stand against Islamophobia and unite with the independent anti-racist movements, particularly as Macron will possibly try and encourage more racist provocations to divide the working class. Green Left interviewed John Tamahir from the Tea Party Maori, the Maori Party in Aotearoa, New Zealand, about the AUKUS military deal and their position. Tea Party Maori is totally opposed to Aotearoa joining the AUKUS alliance, because it basically means giving up sovereignty to the United States. Tamahia said nuclear-powered submarines would not be welcome on their shores, and the AUKUS deal is clearly part of the drive to war against China. He said Australia has an obligation to other countries in the South Pacific and Oceania region, and to First Nations people. He said it was important for Aotearoa to remain militarily neutral and not choose sides in wars. Watch the full interview at greenleft.org.au. Yeah, it's great that the Maori Party are standing against AUKUS and US militarism. Um, The Philippines is another country that the US is expanding its presence within as part of the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement. Um, The US and Philippines conduct annual joint military exercises. Um, This year, more than 17,600 members of the armed forces of the Philippines and the U.S. military took part in the largest such joint exercise to date. Uh, Rusty Dalitso, who's an international affairs analyst and longtime socialist activist in the Philippines, and a former president of, uh, sorry, former vice president of Solidarity of Filipino Workers, told Green Left that the Philippines left condemns the country's loyalty to the U.S. military machine. Quote, we continue to struggle against any expansion of U.S. military forces on Philippine soil, just as we also call for all U.S. military troops to be kicked out of the Philippines and the broader Asia-Indo-Pacific region. South Korea is another country rushing headfirst into the U.S.'s new war on China with far-right President Yoon suk Yul announcing with U.S. President Joe Biden that nuclear-armed submarines will be deployed to South Korea, reintroducing nuclear weapons to the country for the first time in 40 years. Yoon's actions are putting South Korea on a dangerous path that further destabilizes inter-Korean relations and antagonizes China, its biggest trading partner. Activists in South Korea are fighting this nuclear escalation and have reiterated that only a peace treaty ending the Korean War and the US military occupation would lay the basis for denuclearizing the Korean peninsula. Yeah, and while the South Korean ruling class joined the warmongering US, 130,000 South Korean workers have taken action across 14 cities against the UN administration's repressive anti-union stance, and the record-breaking attendance rates reflect the popular discontent towards the government, with participants carrying signs uh, with slogans such as Out with Yoon Sokyu and General Strike Now. 
uh, Kim Byul Sam, who's the head of the Seoul uh, Regional Organization for Medical Workers Transport Union, said, uh, because this, the Yoon Sukil government continues to repress workers and trade unions, we've come out to show them that workers are here to fight against the government. More strikes and rallies are being organized, with plans for a general strike in July announced by the Korean Federation of Trade Unions. The U.S. is continuing the militarization of its borders under the Biden administration. It has been using the pandemic as a pretext for tight border controls for the past few years, but now Title 42, which has been used to violate basic human rights, has been scrapped. But the laws that replace it are actually far worse. Title 8 will limit who can seek asylum. Anyone who has passed through another country will be excluded even if that country is not safe for them. Anyone who enters the US without going to the border at the time of the appointment assigned to them by a buggy app will be punished with a five-year prohibition from the country. Ultimately, the changes mean mass deportations will continue and vulnerable people will be abandoned and at risk of kidnapping, rape, torture and extortion. Meanwhile, the annual May Day celebration in Cuba... Uh, was disrupted by severe storms that knocked out electricity in much of the country. Um, The mass marches that usually take place had to be postponed, but that didn't deter the delegation of 150 young grassroots organisers who travelled from the US to mark May Day. Um, The group participated in a series of educational panels, discussions and youth exchanges to deepen their understanding of the Cuban Revolution. Brigade member Sarah Brummett from Florida said that being here in Cuba has opened my eyes to the dire need in the United States to raise awareness about what's going on with this blockade and to end it. The US-imposed blockade has been in effect for over six decades, but a series of developments in the past several years have made it even worse. To find out more about any of these stories, head to greenleft.org.au. Eco-Socialism 2023, A World Beyond Capitalism, is coming up on the weekend of July 1st and 2nd in Naam, Melbourne, at Victoria Trades Hall. We've already announced that Kohei Saito, the author of Marx and the Anthropocene, will be the keynote speaker, joining via Zoom. And we've got some other exciting speakers to announce, including Lydia Thorpe, uh, Beirut Bouchani, Wei Ting, uh, Ruchira Talukda, Mongzani, Mike Treen, Nilifa Koch, and more. Green Left is proud to host Eco-Socialism 2023 and provide a platform for the voices of peace, justice and ecological sustainability that the corporate media consistently ignores. So head to ecosocialism.org.au and get your tickets now. You can also visit the website to find out a little bit more about our speakers and the different sessions that we're offering. Green Left runs on people power. We don't accept corporate donations or advertising, so we need your support to continue. You can become a supporter for only $5 a month. That's only $10 a month to get the hard copy paper delivered to your door. You can also donate to our 2023 Fighting Fund, which will help us make more content like this. Go to greenleft.org.au support to help us out. Remember to follow Green Left on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok for the latest news and analysis. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye.